Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome in. It is on the clock. Ben Kenny hanging out with you on Phillies 24-7 and Sports Radio WIP. A different time show this week. And thank you to all that are listening, whether it's on podcast live on the Phillies 24-7 Odyssey channel, or by whatever means you are, we say thank you. Different time show this week. By the time this show drops, I'll be up in the great Northeast enjoying a couple days with the family. So I'm here to talk about the weekend that was, and I thought today would be a great day to look ahead, not only to the wild card race that is ongoing, but also to what the Phillies are going to need to do come postseason time because obviously their playoff chances have improved significantly over the last month. When they get to the postseason, what is this team going to look like? Because, yes, they have to battle for those wild card spots, and, and they're going to need to get to number one in order to host that first series. But I think we can all agree that when the Phillies drop a series, like they did last weekend against the Twins, we're not in the skies falling mode anymore, Right? A lot of Phillies fandom, for me especially over the last decade, when the team sucked, the team sucked. And you knew, likely, when you turn on a game to watch and Tommy Joseph is standing there playing first base, it's like, okay, the the team's chances tonight might not be great. But since the Gabe Kapler era began, and then bleeding into Girardi, and now until last year, until last September, we always brace for the worst. And whenever something started to go wrong, I at least always expected that to snowball and to kill the team. Now, that, that could be a series, that could be a week, it could be a month. Now, I saw this tweet earlier this week that I, I think the 2018 Phillies that were, I think, a couple games back of a wild card spot entering the deadline and then going to the rest of the year, they made offseason moves. Oh, it, it happened because Jose Bautista, Phillies legend, obviously, was honored in Toronto this weekend. And someone brought up the Phillies' deadline moves that year, which were Jose Bautista, Aaron Loop, Justin Bohr, and like Asdrubal Cabrera. And the front office expected those guys to be the the dudes to bring the, the Phils over the top. And they completely collapsed. But I say all this to say, in the past, we have approached a series like we saw last weekend or a short losing streak with... The sky is falling because most times it was. That was a warranted reaction to watching this team play because even when they got into September, they weren't able to close the deal. And again, until last year, they didn't make the playoffs. And even you go to last year when they get swept by the Cubs in Wrigley or they have some god-awful series down the stretch, the only reason they get in with the ease that they did, only having to win that one game in Houston, is because the Brewers collapsed. That was not the Phillies going out and taking the wild card spot by storm. It was somewhat handed to them. And then 
their run in the postseason, obviously, it happened. And that changes our perception. So we look at the rest of this season, I think partially through that lens, through the lens of seeing them succeed in the playoffs last year and knowing, one, if they get in, a run is more than possible. Uh, like Two, there is a switch that can be flipped. But three, they are, they're worthy of our trust. And even you could go throughout this entire season that all of the losing streaks, even the terrible couple months, the, the subpar couple months to start before they get going in June, that even when those blips on the radar happen, this team has proven, while also being one of the more likable Phillies teams I can remember, they've proven that they are bouncing back from it. So when I look at the rest of this regular season, yes, I am focusing on how they're jockeying for playoff position, and thankfully a lot of the other wildcard teams are, are losing while they are either not playing or losing as well. I'm focusing on the jockeying for the position, but more so I'm focusing on what this team is going to look like when we actually get to the postseason. Because no more meaningful additions will be made, aside from one guy that's on the street that I'm going to bring up a little later. A familiar face that was recently traded at the deadline and then subsequently released. But I'm looking ahead. I'm looking ahead to what we could take away going into the playoffs with this Phillies team. Because they're going to make it. First reported on On the Clock. They're going to make the playoffs this year. So I don't know. I don't know if people completely agree. I know we got a couple angry calls about, well, the whole reaction to Sunday's game was the umpiring. And we'll get to that as well a little later on. A lot of smaller points to hit on, including that one. But do people agree with me that there is a level of trust that's been built with this iteration of the Phillies that we're confident they'll make it. And we also are somewhat blindly confident that they can turn it around if they are playing poorly or that suddenly a hot streak is going to be imminent again. Because that's the evidence that we've gotten so far with this group. Um, but coming out of the twin series and the Phillies going to Toronto for two, I'm recording this before the Toronto series. So if anything drastic happens and uh, this becomes old takes exposed or I sound like an idiot because suddenly the they wake up and they demolish the hard-hitting Blue Jays, I'll put my hand up and I will own that one. I'm recording this before the Blue Jays series. The weekend against the Twins, there are a lot of angles here, but I couldn't help but come away thinking the main takeaway from the series is that everything's fine. It sucked. Listen, Saturday sucked. I was working from, I think, 8 to 1 on Saturday. I got out of here right after Glenn and Mike wrapped up and before Gobert's radio went on. And I was pumped. I was going to go. Go ahead and exercise, going to go run some errands, get home, watch the Phillies who were playing, and then also watch the Eagles preseason game, which I would love. I'd love to talk about Sidney Brown for 30 minutes today, but I cannot. That is not the genre of this show. Um, but I get home and, and, and I get ready to watch it. And then just uh, one of the more dead, just why am I watching this baseball game, games of the year, which happened. That'll happen to even the best teams in baseball. You get a couple where, okay, yeah, not only are the Phillies not touching Pablo Lopez at all today, the Twins are going to rock Taiwan Walker, and water might be finding its level there, which is a, a, a larger point we'll get to. And then Sunday sucked as well. All the runners in scoring position, the Alec Bohm ejection in that moment. I'm not going to say I, I had any fun watching those two games, but, I mean, everything's fine. 
Like the, this team will be fine. There again are some smaller things going on with the bullpen depth, maybe with some some injuries. Guys got to get back, but overall, them losing a series to while the Twins are a first place team, the Central's terrible. The Twins are an average baseball team, and nothing shows more that being the case than the fact that they they started Dallas Keuchel in a major league baseball game on Friday, and the final score of thirteen to two spoke for how that was always going to go, and, and how that ended up going. Everything's fine. I, th- th- this team's going to be okay. Now, a, a long losing streak and falling out of position, then maybe you start to raise some alarm bells. But we're still seeing flashes from Trey Turner. He's up to a 10-game hit streak, I believe all since the ovation. He has hit in 10 straight games since that has happened. His average is up to 252 on the season. His OPS is 701, which is... Low for his standards, clearly, given what's gone on. But it's the best that he's had since May 17th of this year. Which is unbelievable to think about. That his cold streak lasted that long. Now, even on May 17th, he wasn't playing great. Now, he started the season pretty hot, and then he he hit that tailspin. Kind of like Castellanos did last year in his first season in Philly. But a 10-game hit streak for Turner, I mean, it seems to be seeing the ball well. We're seeing the two-strike hits driving the ball to the gaps. He's going deep. All the signs from Kerner are Turner, excuse me, are wildly encouraging. So there there are some things in, in both ways, but I'm not I'm not coming on here with broad conclusions about that one series of baseball. However frustrating it was. Um I do have some Phillies notes from that series and from the week to get to, however, and we'll we'll hit the take case coming up here in a little bit. Looking forward to the playoffs, where the Phillies' odds stand, what I think their rotation should look like. We'll get to all that in a bit. But a headline dropped after Taiwan Walker got rocked on Saturday that the Phillies are skipping him for a start, for rest. And they're going to go back to a five-man for this week before they go into a pretty big giant series. So you're going to go Nola and Wheeler and then Ranger, Lorenzen, and Chris Sanchez. Skip a Taiwan Walker start. His velocity had been down. And listen, the whole Nola versus Walker thing, which I've talked about, it frustrates me to no end. Because while expectations for Nola, rightfully so, should be so much higher than they are for Walker, people treat them like two unbelievably different pitchers. Yet, if you look at the numbers, they are not as far off as the public would tell you. That's because the win-loss numbers. Because Walker's gotten run support. So that frustrates me. But that doesn't have to do with Walker, the pitcher. That has to do with the reaction to some of his starts. Him, the pitcher, his velocity has been down. And while he's won all the games, eventually when you give up a bunch of runs, there are going to be moments where your team is not just scoring more than that. I know it might be hard to comprehend, but the more runs a pitcher gives up, the more likely he is to lose the game. The more likely the team is to lose the game. So with him not being as sharp, especially since June, and the Phillies telling you that he needs some rest, I'm getting a bit concerned about him. Now, not to go directly into where he fits in my rotation, but I'm getting a bit concerned about him for the rest of the year. Even when he was on, some of it didn't feel as sustainable as it feels for other pitchers on this staff. There's a lot of a lot of contact, and the weird dynamic of how his velo's low in the first inning, he gets rocked and then suddenly figures it out. Like, okay, if I think about that in the playoffs, it's going to infuriate me. 
he gives up two runs in the first inning and then settles in. That's just not the tone you want in a playoff game. You want to start hot. We saw how much that mattered last year. But this news, while, uh, okay, if it works and he comes back sharp, then I, I would love to be wrong here. I, I would love to him. I would love for him to turn into a great pitcher for the rest of the year. What this move does signal, though, is Dave Dombrowski's move to get Michael Lorenzen looks smarter and smarter and smarter by the day. Not only has Lorenzen obviously pitched out of his mind for the last week, two starts as a Philly, 17 total innings, and I believe one run. Obviously, he, he pitched the no-hitter against the Nationals last week. He's been incredible on the mound, but think about what the addition of Lorenzen also brings here. It gives the Phils the flexibility to go to a six-man. We know how bad it was with the five-man before Chris Sanchez came up and started pitching great, but it gives them flexibility to go to six so that now when someone needs rest, which we've seen with Wheeler in the past, by the way, think last year. Zach Wheeler was shut down at this time, came back and was super sharp for the playoffs. So it's not unprecedented what we're seeing. They have the flexibility to do it and now still have a full rotation with guys that you're okay with on the mound at the very least. And also, when Walker comes back, and if he's pitching great, Lorenzen can go to the pen. He's versatile in that way. Or Ranger can go to the pen. It adds so much depth to this pitching staff, both starters and relievers. And while the staff, I think, is the best ERA in baseball since June 3rd, they need help. One of my big takeaways from the weekend as well is this bullpen needs a bit of a shakeup somehow. Alvarado hopefully is back soon. I need Andrew Bellotti called back up to the big leagues. But this bullpen is getting pretty gassed. When you carry an extra starter, you obviously have to carry one fewer reliever. I've seen Dylan Covey in way too many spots for my liking, just in general. And most of those aren't even high leverage spots. Now, the, the guy that has had a lot of high leverage spots and that I like, however, I am not going to trust in a big spot in the playoffs, Jeff Hoffman. like He's thrust in there in a lot of big spots for this team. And ideally, he is not pitching in those opportunities. Ideally, Jeff Hoffman is giving you maybe some long relief, maybe some middle relief, but he's not in there in the eighth inning in a one-run game. So that's a projection for the rest of the season and yeah the the Lorenzen move has helped greatly the six-man rotation is going to help this team come playoff time I wonder who goes to the bullpen from that group when the roster expands I wonder what direction they go but I came away from this week both happy that Lorenzen is a Philly thrilled even more so than than after I was when he was pitching with Walker having his start skipped But I also came away looking at that pen and still thinking, back to the trade deadline, there really wasn't a move that could have been made just for depth, just for another guy that you can rely on to come in, even 6th, 7th inning. Nothing high leverage or crazy. So that's something, I mean, we know how important bullpens are. This bullpen this year has been the best fills one I've watched in at least a decade. It's, It's something that needs to be clicking on all cylinders when they get to the postseason. All right, one other thing that has been on my mind from the weekend and in general before I get to some some larger takes that include the umpire debacle, thoughts on the possibility of robo-umps, and what the rotation looks like, in my mind, come playoff time. 
But look out, everybody. Bryce Harper's trending. Now, pardon me for the numbers, but I, I need them to prove a point right now, and there's no better way to explain this than through the numbers. So throughout this season, we know what the return from Tommy John has done to his power. And we know what it's done to other top players' power, including Otani, including Corey Seager. It's not an unprecedented situation that even if you're a great power hitter, it might take some time for that to return. Now, Harper's the best. Obviously, when, when he's hitting the ball hard, doesn't take a genius to understand that. But also, when he is hitting more fly balls, when he is elevating the baseball, I think something that really hurt him throughout most of the beginning of his season, is when he hit it hard, and he was hitting it hard at a fine rate, a lot of it was going right into the ground, which resulted in more outs automatically. Now there's a big, you know, you don't want to pop it up too much or this direction, whatever. I'm not a math guy. But what I will say when it comes to Harper is elevating the baseball is positive, and it almost always leads to him having better results. Now, if you go back through his season here, there have been some some valleys, but in general, starting about 20 games ago, we started to see the fly ball percentage rocket up. Now, the average this year is in the high 20 percentages, and it's been lower. It was It, it got high when he got somewhat hot there uh, around 30 games into his season. But now, since game 60... It's starting to rocket up and trend in a great direction. We're seeing that number eclipse now or get close to 40%. The pull percentage is high as well, meaning he's pulling the ball in the air. And his hard hit rate has absolutely spiked. So pardon me for bringing up the numbers, but I I say this all to say. Like this is, uh, if you want to look at signs that the turnaround is happening in front of our eyes and that he's blossoming, there it is. So you speak of, okay, what can we look forward to the postseason and try to understand? I think Bryce Harper, when the lights turn on and it's October and he had this whole year to work out and work back from the injury that he sustained, now he's out on the field as well, which I'm sure helps him mentally, helps him approach the plate appearance. He's able to go to the field to clear his mind. He's not just sitting on the on the dugout thinking about the last at bat. I think when the lights turn on, this is another just quintessential Bryce Harper October. I think we're lined up for one, which this team needs, and it's really exciting to think about. All right, it's on the clock. We will return, talk about where the Phillies are in the playoff race and what I want their rotation to be like. A lot of talk about that on the station this week. I need to set the record straight. We'll hit that next. It's on the clock. All right, on the clock, we are back. Appreciate everybody hanging out. Phillies 24-7, Sports Radio 94, WIP. I urge everyone, check out all the other stuff we have on the Phillies 24-7 channel. Have podcasts up there pretty much every day during the week, recapping Phillies games and the biggest stories with the team and across Major League Baseball as well. We'll get to some thoughts on baseball as a whole. Free agency coming up, some big risers and fallers. Man, the best thing I saw this week was was incredible. I'll touch on that coming up here in a little bit. But Phillies, after the series against the Twins, before they go to Toronto, their playoff odds are up to 84% on fan graphs, which would tell you enough. Now, I think there were as low as 20-something percent on 
June 2nd before they hit that big turnaround. They might have been up to 90% before the twin series. I don't know. They fluctuate. But 84% is legitimate. And even if you look, again, across the rest of the wild card, no team is really going crazy to challenge them for the number one spot. San Francisco will hang around. But if you look at their schedule coming up, man, they get three against Atlanta. Then they go to Philly. Then they get another three against the Braves. And the Braves are just unbeatable at the moment. So I don't expect a huge run from San Francisco to come here. So when playoff time comes, here we go. It was a big topic on the station all week. I want you, if you're listening, sit back, think about this for a second. You're Rob Thompson. The Phillies are hosting the San Francisco Giants in the wild card round of the playoffs. Gabe Kapler and the San Francisco Giants, which is, I mean, in a year full of the most unbelievable content ever from the Sixers being a joke to the Eagles going to the Super Bowl and the Phillies being the most likable team I've ever witnessed, you know, the Turner ovation, the Nola hate. In a year with just tailor-made content, to have Gabe Kapler come to Philadelphia for a playoff series, while I wish Angelo was still on the morning show to talk about it, man, that would be an unbelievable, unbelievable scene. But entering that series, it's a best of three. So let's say you're you're given four pitchers because the Phillies will shrink the rotation going into the playoffs. What does your playoff rotation look like? I'll give you mine here, and it's a layup to me. Now, I heard all throughout June, oh, Ranger Suarez is the two. He's pitching like the two. Nola stinks. It's Wheeler Ranger. And then Taiwan Walker goes on a run. Oh, look, Taiwan Walker's the two. Now Ranger could be the ace on this team. I don't even know if Wheeler's good. People lost their minds watching that stretch of baseball. And that's what it was, a stretch of baseball. Baseball is such a fickle game where – I believe over the long run, you tend to regress back to what you normally are during your career. Zach Wheeler, as we pointed out, by the way, during the All-Star break, Zach Wheeler has rebounded and has been awesome in the second half so far. Aaron Nola, not so much. Different story. But Taiwan Walker, while, uh, listen, I'm rooting for the guy. I want him to do well. He's not a number two. He's not the number two on this team. And Rangers hit a bit of a rough patch. I'm confident in him more than Walker to work himself out of it. But he's not pitching like an ace either. My playoff rotation, if the playoffs started tomorrow, number one, by far, Zach Wheeler. He's the ace on this team. He's the big game pitcher. He has all the experience you need. We saw him World Series Game 6, obviously, absolutely deal before Thompson took him out and the Phils end up losing. Starting game two for me, I know a lot of you will hate it, is Aaron Nola. Now, for a few reasons. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's had a good season because he hasn't. But I put a lot of stock in experience. I put a lot of stock in what I've seen from him in flashes and in bursts where, okay, yeah, he's given up all the runs. And a start like the Rays start a couple months ago, where he just dominated them. We know he has that in him, and still he sits there with one of the lowest walks and hits per innings pitched in the National League. He's been killed by the home run. 
which if you're going to give up a couple solo home runs in a playoff game, chances are your team's probably winning. This Phillies team is winning if the Giants score a couple solo home runs off Aaron Nola. He's starting game two for me. I'm going to rely on the experience. I'm going to rely on the depth, the the depth of innings that, that he will bring. And I'm going to trust the guy that the lights are bright and now it's time to turn it on. Now, part of this also is I don't trust Ranger and I don't trust Walker. And Ranger, for that matter, I might want in the bullpen for that series. But I definitely don't trust Walker to start game two. And Lorenzen has been unbelievable, but the sample size is tiny. And Lorenzen's going to pitch a game for you. He's starting a game for you in the playoffs if it ended today. Now, the difference between game and game two and game three, you would note, maybe might not be that big. But hopefully that's setting you up for the rest of the playoffs, which that would then be the order you go with. Now, what's interesting is actually, let's say Phillies Giants was a best of five in the NLDS. And this might be the case for a, a Dodger series or a Brave series. There's something weird about Aaron Nola that all the excitement in the home crowd, he's so even keeled that I don't know if that is going to hype him up or get to him where I would almost rather see a juiced-up Lorenzen that we saw throw a no-hitter throw the game at home, which might be a game two in theory, and have Nola go three. But that's more to play to the strengths of the pitchers and their and their traits and their qualities. When it comes to which one, if, if everything was in a vacuum, Nola's my number two guy. It's half distrust in the rest of the staff, and half of it is track record and falling back on Okay, he's gonna he's gonna turn it around eventually, and if the floor, if if you give me Nola's floor for that start as four runs and in seven innings, the Phillies should probably win the game anyway. The offense is gonna have to hit, so that's how I would go one two. Number three, I would uh, Michael Lorenzen's pitching game three for me in a playoff series. I'm moving Ranger to the bullpen. I think he works very well unfazed. You can put him in the game at any time and he'll come in and get outs. I think he's going to be a very valuable piece as a lefty with Strom and Alvarado, but also as a guy that can give you length if the starter struggles, where if Taiwan Walker struggles, for instance, Ranger can come in and and clean it up and keep the team in the game. So Lorenzen's my three. I'll give Walker my four. And I'm not sure what I'm doing with Chris Sanchez. We'll see. He might have to do what Noah Syndergaard pitched the first three innings and sw- and hope he does not get rocked kind of start. But we'll see. But Wheeler, Nola, Lorenzen, Walker, that's what I'm entering a playoff series with if the season ended today. Now, what's beautiful is it doesn't end today, so you still have a couple months left of, okay, who is going to be hot? Who's actually going to be able to deliver? Because if Aaron Nola has a great rest of August and a great September, then he is obviously clearly your two. That also changes maybe how you view next season. What's going to be a shame is that Aaron Nola's future is going to be decided, at least in the fans' eyes, by one start in the playoffs, or maybe two. Not necessarily the years of 230 innings and being the most durable pitcher in baseball. Not that stuff. That's not going to matter. It's, oh, he doesn't come through in the playoffs for me. Which in baseball I've always found tough. I've always found to be... A, a tough way to just dumb it all down to that. All right, so, so that's where I'm at playoff rotation-wise. Um, 
Speaking of, uh, you know what? I forgot to throw this in in the open. Speaking of rotations and pitchers and the Phillies beatdown of Dallas Keuchel and the Twins on Friday, Johan Rojas hit his first career home run. Congratulations. I, I don't mean to take that moment away. I figure there will at least be some more. Doesn't seem to be a power hitter, but, I mean, just defensively, he, he could stick around for a decade just based on his defense. I don't think statistics off of position players should count. Actually, I, I think all of them should be, you go back in the record books and take that stuff out. It's the same way that if a starting pitcher, when starting pitchers face pitchers that were hitting, I didn't think it should count statistically for either person. It's just like, yes, it's in the spirit of the game because of how the sport was structured, but there's just something that feels wrong about a team like the Braves, and this did happen, that tag a position player for seven or eight runs in an inning, put up a 21 spot, and yeah, they're like the best offensive team I've ever seen, but are we really going to give Matt Olson another two home runs because he hit him off some scrub outfielder for the Mets? That's the same thing here. I want Johan Rojas to earn the first home run. I don't need it coming off of Jordan Luplo, who's in there mimicking Craig Kimbrell. That's something I've always been out on. If you're going to pad stats, yeah, it's baseball. And, and a pitch is still being thrown, and you're still hitting it, and it shows up in the box score. But I don't know. Like, defensive indifference. Like, literally, the game is over when a position player comes in. Can we just have a manager say, I'm giving them $3 million defensive indifferences? like auto-simming an inning. Now, it's entertaining to watch because the guys stink on the mound. Statistically, I don't want our I don't want our record books tarnished by hits that guys have gotten off of third basemen that throw 62 miles an hour. Even I can hit 62. Maybe that's what Elliot Shore Parks needed for that tweet to come true. He said, I can hit a home run in an MOB game. Well, yeah, if a position player is on the mound, which these days is... I guess more common than you would think. The other big story from the weekend that I have not touched on yet is the debacle with Alec Bohm and umpiring. And everybody, as soon as the Phillies lose because of a call people disagree with, well, you know what? It's time for robo-umps. Bring on the robo-umps. It's time to take away the human element of everything we have in baseball and just automate, automate everything. I need everything right. The first issue here, and uh, by the way, yes, it was a bad call. And I would have liked to see Harper up coming up next with the bases loaded. Now, the Phillies have benefited from those calls. Think back to last Wednesday, for example, Michael Lorenzen on the mound. Terrible strike three call in the ninth gives him a strikeout. The issue on Sunday and the issue in general, it was not the fact that there was a human behind home plate calling the balls and strikes. I want that always to be the case. I always want there to be some piece of suspense, some piece of human element in the game of baseball when it comes to that. We've already taken him out of calls on the field, which I'm okay with. You want to get it right all the time. But the issue is that, number one, there's a there's a box shown on telecast showing where every pitch comes in, which if you take that away, I guarantee you, you feel differently about strikes and balls. There's something that looks like a strike and feels like a strike, that because of this pitch cast thing tells you is a couple inches off the plate, people lose their minds. 
Meanwhile, there's a ball that that looks like a ball, whether the catcher's lined up on the other side of the plate, whether the ball breaks a certain amount, that is a strike, but isn't called such. You know? So there's that. There's also the fact that the dude behind home plate on Sunday was a replacement up. You should never have a guy that has been that low level. And we saw replacement ups at first base, miss calls all the time. That's fine. You can correct that. Keep these guys away from home plate. Give it to an give it to a vet. Give it to an experienced guy. Give it to someone that isn't going to make a mockery of the game like that guy did. The biggest problem, honestly, wasn't the strike three call. It was the fact he threw out Alec Bowman made the game totally about himself. So, yes, it was an um show. It was brutal. But let's relax about robo-umpires. We don't need to take more steps towards making the game more automated and, and less, less of, a, of a human impact. Now, if, if you want to complain about Angel Hernandez, go, go right ahead. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm with you. Isn't there also something kind of beautiful, like baseball beautiful, about complaining about umpires? Like, it's, it's the only time, or one of the only times in society where it's totally normal for a dude to come out of an area, get mad at somebody, scream and yell in their faces, and nothing happened back to him. Managers get pissed at umpires. It, it's one of, to me, the most entertaining parts of the game, when they get really heated. So, yeah, there are some tough calls that cost you some in games. I would also note the Phillies... Didn't get a hit the other times they had the bases loaded. It wasn't only that Alec Bohm at bat where they had the chance. The game was not won and lost with that one call. And yeah, it sucked. Listen, I was mad about it, but I still think there's something there's something inherently baseball about getting mad at what a guy in big protective gear says about a ball that was thrown from 60 feet. It's entirely unique. You can't replicate it. If you go to RoboWumps, I just we're just moving further and further away from from what baseball was. And this is coming from a young person. Keep in mind. I often roll my eyes about the whole, oh, you know, back in my day, Nolan Ryan threw five thousand pitches a game and still pitched two days later. It's like uh, okay, I, I get it. D- different time in baseball. But this is the one like, okay, yeah, back in back in the day when humans actually ran the sport. That's where I will be if RoboUmps are put in. All right, it's on the clock. Um, alumni weekend also was the, was this past weekend. The only thing I have on that, I was not alive in 1993. Uh, I have obviously, I've read a lot about that team. I've watched a lot about that team. I don't have any personal anecdotes about the team given I was, I'm sure, barely a thought. I will say I was sitting back looking at all those guys return and how much it meant to a lot of people. It did make me reflect and think about how cool and likable this year's team is yet again. Here's, here's broken record, broken record. Kenny's back, but made me think about that. Made me think about the environment, about how cool it is for alumni and them to come back with the team winning and with the city all in with everyone down at the ballpark. It's not a Sunday with again, Tommy Joseph, I don't mean to ricochet Tommy Joseph all night, but Tommy Joseph isn't there at first base. You don't have five first basemen in the lineup, including like Justin Bohr playing left field. It's like, no, this is a real team, and the city's behind it. 
And I love those scenes. I love the tributes. Now, the only tribute that needs to be done that has not, and it's been a travesty, is Cole Hamels just retires from baseball. It's time to get all those 08 guys back in the building ASAP. Now, I know they were for the playoffs, but I'm talking Wall of Fame. I think they should have their numbers retired. It's time to honor that team. I know there's some crap about the Hall of Fame, but whatever. That's where I stand. That's what Alumni Weekend made me think of watching the games on Saturday and Sunday. All right, it's on the clock. When we come back, some storylines across the MLB. The best thing I saw this week, it ties into the Phillies. It happened in Houston. I'll tell you what that is and a lot more. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. It is on the clock. Ben Kenny with you at Kenny on Twitter. Have not been pushing that at all. I would appreciate any and all follows. I apologize in advance for the college football tweets. I don't host a college football show anymore, but I still am. Uh, it, it It is my second favorite sport next to baseball, if I'm being completely honest. So a lot of college football thoughts and musings going up there, but obviously thoughts on the fills almost every night. The best thing I saw this week. Do you remember the name John Singleton? The Phillies drafted him in 2009. He is technically still, I guess, a first baseman prospect because he has not spent much time in the majors. He was traded from the Phillies to the Houston Astros for Hunter Pence. Obviously, you remember that name. Came up and came here in 2011. Let's eat was part of that whole thing. Phil's traded uh, Singleton to the Astros. He makes it up to Houston in 2014. Terrible, terrible debut. He then makes it back in 2015. Only plays 19 games. He then was in the minors from 2015 to 2023. This year. Eight more years in the minors. I believe he is now... He's in his 30s, at least. Oh, he's 31. So he makes his debut in 2014. After... Great trivia piece is that, again, he's traded for Hunter Pence. Well, he made it back with the Astros this weekend. And what did he do in that debut? He went deep twice and led to an Astros win. And, boy, like, look up the videos. This dude knows how to pimp a home run. One of the better double pimp jobs I've seen this year. So that's uh, It was awesome seeing John Singleton finally make it back up to the majors. The story of the week, and I don't, I'm not going to get into this because I don't know what's going on, to be completely honest. But I will tell you that this show is monitoring the situation as close as we can. Wander Franco of the Rays, star shortstop, has been placed on the restricted list and did not travel with the team to its series. There are allegations on social media going around that I'm not going to get into, but I will say. We are monitoring the situation, and when things of substance come out, we will be sure to bring it to you and react to it. All right, before we get out of here uh, and before we look ahead to the week that is to come for the Phils, some risers and fallers from across Major League Baseball over the last couple weeks. It's officially, well, it's mid-August. It's officially cream rising to the top season. This is when the, the deadline is passed, the pretenders... The, the fluffy teams that weren't going to do much are the leaderboard gravity's getting them. Day in, day out, they don't have enough, and they're starting to falter. The biggest fallers, I, we've spoken a lot about the Angels 
but it has to be said again. They're one of the worst teams in baseball since the All-Star break. Uh, since the deadline, excuse me. Since they bought at the deadline, big time. They keep Otani. They get Giolito. They grab two bats, C.J. Crone, Randall Grichik. They're losing in unbelievable ways, but they're losing. And that season seems over. Otani seems gone. Who, by the way, Otani missing a start with right arm fatigue, which is something, it's not major, but think about going, if you're a team, are you going to give a guy $800 million if you somehow believe that in three years he won't be pitching? My answer is yes, because what he brings in interest-wise is unquantifiable numbers-wise. But think about that. Are you going to give a guy enough money that a top pitcher and a top hitter would get and combine the two if you don't think he'll pitch in a couple years? That's something that we should all consider as he enters the market. But the Arizona Diamondbacks, they needed pitching at the deadline badly, and they got a bullpen arm or two, I think, minor moves, and they stink now. They are in absolute free fall, falling out of the wild card race pretty quickly after they were one of the surprise teams in baseball, and they were contending for the division. They're now three and a half games behind the Miami Marlins for the final wild card spot. The Reds and the Cubs are both ahead of them. Now the Reds there, I mean, a faller as well. Another team that badly needed pitching at the deadline didn't get it. And yes, they are still a game back of the final wild card, but the Brewers have really created separation on them in their division, and the Cubs have caught up with them. So they look like a team that can maybe go to the playoffs, make a big move, make some noise. That's not looking like the case. Meanwhile, Philly, San Francisco, uh, to me those are supplanted as number one and two. I would expect Miami and the Cubs and the Reds to be battling for that final wildcard spot. The biggest risers, I, I mentioned, if you speak of the cream, what is actually rising? Well, the Dodgers, I am sad to report, are totally back. They're 11-1 and since the All-Star break. Lance Lynn, who they acquired, has a 2.0 ERA since they traded for him. So they're going to do that whole thing where they win 105 games, they're amazing, and then probably lose in terrible fashion in the playoffs. Hopefully to the Phillies this time. Phillies haven't done it to them since 2009. The AL West, that's a, that's a crazy one if you look at it. The Texas Rangers are surging. The Astros are really damn good again, unfortunately. After getting Verlander back, I will note. And Seattle is surging after a playoff appearance last year. So check out the AO West. Those teams all seem to be peaking at the right time. All right. On the clock. We'll close it out when we come back. Phils have a an easy series next week. And then one that people should be circling. We'll tell you what they are when we return. All right, welcome back. Man, this excites me. It's on the clock. Phil's, when you listen to this, they will have played in Toronto. I hope they sweep so everyone's excited because the team goes to Washington and nothing screams continue a win streak like going to face the Washington Nationals. Again, no Taiwan Walker in that series, I believe. I, I think they're holding him out to when they face the Giants, which starts on Monday the 21st. So, Wheeler-Nola go against the Blue Jays. Then it'll be Lorenzen 
Ranger and Chris Sanchez going against Washington. I that should be a sweep. I know Washington has shown a little bit of peskiness since they've gotten some young guys going, but that should be a sweep. And then the big series, in come the San Francisco Giants and the chiseled jaw man himself, Gabe Kapler, comes to town. That's a three-game set, and that is a massive, massive series. They're within three games of each other in the standings. And this could be, like, you could also speak of tiebreakers, take away who's going to win the the actual overall record race between the two. You have to win these games against a team like that because you're not just playing for jockeying between the second wild card and the third. Because in that case, it's either you're going on the road to the first team or you're going on the road to the worst division winner. This is a, a world of difference that they're battling for. This is hosting the opening round of the playoffs, which we know, we know the house of horrors at least, I, it's seared into my brain. The Phillies don't win in San Francisco. I don't know why. I can't explain it. Obviously, they've had good teams, but the vibes there are just terrible. All of the weird, super utility, long reliever guys that Kapler throws out there just kills the Phillies every time they get out there. This series is going to need to be at home in Philadelphia. So you have to, you have to make a mark. You have to win this series. You have to put distance between you and the Giants. Now, the probables for that series will likely be Taiwan Walker, which it'd be great if that rest paid dividends right from the start, right from the beginning when he comes back, and then Nola and Wheeler. Big-time starts are coming up. These games, everyone always says the game's in April. A, a, a win in April, a loss in April means the same as that in August or September. I totally disagree with that. Yeah, mathematically and on the schedule it does on the standings it does but when you say take two out of three from a Giants team like this it doesn't feel like two out of three it feels like you just took four out of five or multiply it by two I don't know the weight of the games is so different when you get to mid and late August so I can't wait for that series that's going to be great I I'm excited to get Gabe back here and given he knows he knows the path of these two teams. They're on a collision course, what he's like, and what the reception is like. Maybe maybe we get some pro... Maybe maybe Gabe Kapler gets a standing ovation so that he warms up to the Philadelphia fans after all that. After his tenure ended on his first day when he pulled Aaron Nola in, what, the, the fifth inning, the sixth inning, and brought in Hobie Milner, who got rocked the minute he got in the game. Ugh, what a time. Rob Thompson doesn't, like, he pulled Chris Sanchez with a no-hitter, even though he was never going to finish it. He had, like, 80 pitches through five innings. But Rob Thompson never gives us that, and he's such a likable dude that you you don't even want to question it. You feel like he has his hand perfectly on the pulse, which, over time, it's been proven, like, he's proven that he has had his hand perfectly on the pulse. There was something with Gabe Kapler that the minute, the minute he made that decision, Everything he did was criticized. Even if it worked, every way he maneuvered the lineup and every way he, he used the bullpen, everybody hated it. Part of it might be his appearance, you know, pretty boy. But also I think part of it could be the, it's just when you start off on that foot and then you don't do much to mend it, instead you fight with Angelo in the morning. 
yeah, they're going to come after you. That's, that's the nature of this town. I love it. All right. We thank you again for spending your Friday with us. I'm Ben Kenny. I will be back from a couple days up north next week. Another early show next week. I can't wait to talk about these series, though. Big week of Phillies baseball coming up, as always. We will talk to you soon. See ya. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.